Welcome to the Riz Campaign, one in a series of games that have taken place over the years in my setting, the aged world of Talvos. Magic gods and the history of the world itself are cloaked in debate and mystery. The party, contracted for some Vibrani plot to steal a magical dwarven artifact known as the Voice of the Mountain, is where our campaign begun. The individuals contracted to this plot are our players, and a friend. Kira Gorshkova, played by Amy, was contracted under Vibrani Ruka for failure to deliver her ward Vibrani Sudba to the distant land of Misra. This voyage would have cemented the first Rizian colony on the other side of the world, where the sun would never set on the Empire. However, their voyage had fallen to some unfortunate fate. Kira, following in the footsteps of her grandfather, Admiral Gorshkova, having been the first to successfully travel beyond the Shattered and return, the crew that returned, however, have become infamous for spreading some cult of the ocean, purposely sinking vessels and spawning mutinies. The great Admiral Gorshkova falling to this cult as well. Kira venturing into the Shattered had found herself in almost a moment waking up naked and alone on one of her brigantines off the shore of Zemivortu, a colony on the wrong side of the ocean. The only clue being the colored bile she was resting in, rings of yellow, blue, and orange which would not mix or break each other's boundaries. Even with this mystery, debts to Vibrani Ruka were to be repaid in this contract. The second is Webley, or anyone really, depending on who you ask. A resident and late changeling is played by Kyle, spared by a Tyrion guard which would become a lifelong friend. Webley would live as a spy under Vibrani Nil in the underbelly of Nadezda. Though one day Webley had received a letter, unfurling it revealed a contract not listed for him, but signed by Victor Chernikov, his childhood's savior and friend. The contract under Vibrani Nock was strangely written so Victor could have someone else fulfill his duties, while indentured in Hedery. Wishing to save his friend and figure out how his nature is known by Vibrani Nock, Webley would join in the heist for the voice. Zarekov. No what? Uh, Zerka? No, 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 no. Z Zarekov. Zarekov Ilyanesh is our third. Played by Shin, a runaway child of the Ilyanesh complex family, who both inherited a hexblade, the Sorrows, and became the main suspect of a murder at the same time. With that run of luck, Zarekov had fled into the fleet for a number of years. Though the true time and events are muddled due to the memory-censoring nature of the blade, though after years while in the colony, Zarekov received a letter telling him to find a dull-blood woman named Amelie. Seeking to investigate this and what happened to his family, he joined the next ship back to Topka. Upon his return to his family's estate, however, he found it in ruins, and had been hastily taken and contracted under Fabrani Souls for trespassing under suspicious circumstances. Oh, who was next? I'm having trouble remembering. They were, uh... Oh, oh, Oleska Navidu, the local scheming lore bard in, of the group whose plans are honestly a coin flip on their results. Needing to lay low after aiding a hetery baron in sabotaging an academy committee, Aleska maybe naively looked to local Vibrani Dovorat for a contracted job. Not looking closely at the specifics before signing, the previous academy student had agreed to a heist and assassination of the Vibrani warden at Yatsa. A fish out of water is likely to drown. And drown she did. Lastly is our humble friend Maldok. A half-elf owner of a local store and having skills as a smith, Maldok would act as support and meeting ground for the planning of the heist. The first meeting would be in a secluded corner of Ndesda's Central Park. Unable or unwilling to reveal parts of their contracts would make the initial meeting difficult, but their contact, a free goblin named Crew, had given them the basics of the quarry. They were to steal a powerful dwarven artifact known as the Voice of the Mountain from Vibrani Love, who was out of her domain, visiting the Fireblood Winery under Vibrani Joy. Though it wasn't as simple to just walk in, 
Brawny Love was out of her domain to subtly meet with a visiting party of dwarven diplomats from the distant clan Gold Throne for some kind of deal revolving around the voice. To not draw suspicion, but still protect her war Nadjetsa, the Brawny Love hired predominantly tiefling fiend's blood free company from off of Riz instead of bringing her own Tyran from her domain. There were two Rizian spellcasters brought in to inspect the voice of the mountain, Master of Lore V and the name bearer Avisha, who might prove an issue or a lead for information. While they had some leads, this was still going to prove difficult. First stretch would be further information gathering and sneaking into a party at Fireblood Winery where discussions between Vibrani Love and the Gold Throne diplomats would take place. Sneaking in, some of the members mingle while others struggle out in the winery's fields. It's here that a few more figures are cleared up, namely the name of the diplomat and where they're staying, Hornswin Gold Throne. In addition, they found out the voice was being kept in a bag of holding and couldn't be held by bare hands. Alongside finding the Fiend's Blood Free Company staying in the winery sheds, the Free Company's leader had been found, Cargez, an intimidating fighter with some magic items of his own, and the scariest part? Competent. While the meeting was taking place at the winery alongside the mercenaries, Vibrani Love and her entourage would be at a resort under Vibrani Joy. While the deal didn't really head anywhere, the party now knew there was a second piece of the voice, and knew the item would be moved to another location in three days. Yet where was a mystery? After an interim of planning and a ridiculous solo unseen assassination of Warden Yatsa done by Aleska, the party decides to make their move. They're going to steal the voice in daylight before it moves. Though in preparation, Kira goes to talk with the Dwarven Diplomat to get their side of the story and information. By talk, I mean catch him unaware and hold it held at gunpoint. Though while waiting, Kira had an interesting spill while looking over her pistol. She couldn't remember where she got it. Trying to re remember resulted in a moment elsewhere and now as someone else. Apparently, as Admiral Aya, Dolblood, human from Misra, who owned the pistol Kira now wields, though how or when Kira came to own it is still a mystery. Waking in a hotel room, she found she produced more of that colored bile, and settled she decides to hide this until she figures out more. Webley and Zarekov prepared by replacing themselves as the previously scared off tiefling mercenaries Tom and John. While there were some blunders, and if you ask me miracles, they succeeded in getting guard duty within the winery. While Kira and Oleska attempted to sneak through a backdoor guarded by one merc, almost needless to say, the backdoor plan backfired and almost completely revealed the party. With clever lies, silence on a fight, and mimicking Cargaz, the party managed to clear out the initial room and get the majority of the remaining company to leave and search for the intruders on the outskirts of the fields, instead of the winery's interior. Now all that was left was Cargaz himself and eight mercs barricaded in the basement. Smoking them out, a very close fight ensued, with Cargaz being knocked down by Webley due to Zarekov's contract needing to personally kill Cargaz, they healed him to consciousness to kill him all again. As you do. Regrouping at Maldox and reading over the now completed contracts, they begin to dissipate. However, when it came to Kira's, there was a discrepancy in the wording, and with a battle of wills, Kira's interpretation worked out. Now not needing to directly deliver the voice to Ruka, with this action, the party had just made many enemies and few friends outside of each other. Deciding to stick together, they began to plan their next move, which initially seemed to tie up the loose end in Vibrani Ruka. Assassination of a Vibrani has quite the punishment and wide retribution tied to it, so this needed to be done efficiently and with hopefully no witnesses. With some light planning and clumsy disguises in between, there was downtime. Webley went to seek information on Vibrani Nock in Victor's current location, finding he's likely held in Hedery somewhere. The Vibrani Nock was a rural Vibrani with a domain at the southern tip of the Rizian Mountains, unlike all the other Vibrani behind the party's contracts who were all well established within the cities. How he knew of Webley's true nature still remained a question alongside new ones. 
Kira went to speak to a family friend to gather their bearings about what had happened during her voyage. Finding her mother had disappeared in an academy experiment gone wrong up near the military outpost of Devil's Watch, Kira seemed to figure what happened quickly finding the signs of a cover-up increasing her suspicion. Though while chatting with this family friend, Kira found she couldn't remember a moment from her childhood that was mentioned. In fact, as she tried to remember more, she simply found panic and sickness. Excusing herself, she now had only more questions. Leska had gone to the Academy's library to find any documentation relating to some of the individuals at the party. Finding a committee of the voice, yet unpublished conclusion with Master Nika, Zasha, Yelena, and Galena all tied to this. Kira knew Galena was under Ruka's pitiful court and domain for a master of her station. Something didn't seem right. Zarekov briefly attempted to glimpse into the blade in search of the origins of injuries they couldn't explain. Noticing one injury being tied to being shot on a ship, the fiend's right, by Kira's pistol. But before investigating anything else, Zarekov had been scared off by seeing a crying, twitching, hunched frame and quickly finding a heart replacing the skin of their palm. They quickly woke from the nightmare. Maldok stole a clockwork cart. Moving in to take out Verbani Ruka, they ended up bumping into Master Galena. A strange stalemate ensues in the foyer, with no real progress except further growing suspicion into Galena and how her and this committee fit into all of this. With their assassination attempt of Ruka virtually stopped in its tracks, the party decides to travel towards Devil's Watch to follow up on Kira's mother. Though on their way to the rail line, they discover Galena is on the same engine as them. The major rail lines of Riz connect back to Hedery, requiring a brief stop, with Galena's tracks lost along the way. Eventually gathering back on schedule, the party takes the final stretch towards Devil Watch, a center of administration and barracks for the forces that defend the northern shores of Riz from the tribes of the Infernal Wastes. With the decline of the great fairies needing the River Styx, the frequency of raids, and thus the prominence of Devil's Watch had waned. It is still an intimidating location right across the river from Nightmare's Manifest. As the party eventually makes it to Devil's Watch, proper they begin their investigation. Kira goes poking around the Academy's works related to her mother and is stopped by three masters that say they'll explain as much as they can, but that she should not look further into this. Brought to a lab that had obviously been swept and giving very scant answers, Kira would look further into this anyways. Oleska looked to further Academy texts for information on the Committee of the Voice. Webley goes to get a lay of the land at a sleepy bar the interior of which is near silent with a quiet poker game, one person drinking and two people near the hearth who look like they've had a chat. Webley takes a chair from a nearby table, scraping the chair across the ground and placing it in between the two in front of the hearth, sitting down and shouting, Quiet down, everyone! To a small crowd of confused expressions, after various attempts to glean information from this couple at the hearth, Zarekov comes into the sleepy bar as well, looking for a specific indentured worker, Amelie, who happens to be the one person drinking at the moment. Though, seeing Webley struggle, figures he'll come over to try and help. Or just embarrass him further. The latter is what occurred. <laughs> Zarekov briefly chats with this Amelie and does some light trailing to find her apartment, though doesn't go in at the moment. The investigations into Master Galena point them to a hidden academy outpost at the southern tip of the Cross Mountains, and more perturbing, deep within the Infernal Wastes. It's not only the land of the Northmen, but it is a permanent rift to the Abyss. The only reason for its banks being held are threefold. The river sticks on its southern banks, the cross mountains to its northern border, and the constant infighting of remains and tribes that deny their own tide of destruction. That isn't to say it's safe. It's an unsteady balance that warps the land, body, and mind alike. Anxieties and nightmares can manifest by their simple dwelling if not careful. Briefly befriending the sole Vibrani of Devil's Watch, Vibrani Polk, the party travels across the river and ventures into the infernal wastes. The land unnerves even the few veteran Tyran brought alongside the party, facing hordes of their internal demons, now external. With 
Casualties along the way, parts of the journey unnerved the party in their familiarity, having seen some of these surroundings before the trip across the sticks as they approached the committee's black site. Finding the entrance to the camp abandoned yet fortified, the party split over two mile distance to investigate a dead member of the camp that had managed to flee as far. The camp was, however, not abandoned. A mutant behemoth of what was Master Galena revealed itself and attacked in a harrowing fight with only Webley and Oleska. They had resorted to emptying Oleska's bag of holding, throwing the voice at Galena and attempting to flee. To their dismay, this only seemed to empower her. Fleeing, Webley and Oleska managed to meet with the remaining members of the expedition and retreated back to the camp. Finding it seemingly abandoned once again, they noticed the heat within the region began to climb. Flames burst with a ghastly shriek from the back of the camp, revealing a dead Galena and a monstrous elemental of some kind held here by the voice of the mountain, maybe the voice itself or whatever it belongs to. Elementals then began to appear out of thin air as the local region was beginning to slip into the plane of fire. It would be here in another harrowing fight that Webley the Changeling, with no fire resistance compared to the remainder of the party, who were all tieflings, would be incinerated. Ripping the voice from a powerful transmutationist, constantly shifting skeleton, the elementals vanished. The party would trek back to Riz and forget all of their recent journey in an encounter with a demon. Few things would be taken, though. Some notes, some particular answers traded to a brass hook demon of scroll work. Making their way back to Devil's Watch, they would meet a master of creation, Olyana Iskostovich, who had heard rumors of the party was in possession of the voice of the mountain, needing this for a specific need which got her in trouble with some headmasters of the academy. That she wouldn't reveal yet. She sticks with the party to try and gain their trust, and with little and other options with the trouble she caused back home. Zarikov, while back in the outpost, would go to Amelie's apartment and find an unexpected familiar face. His own. When forcing his way into the locked apartment, Zarikov had found another Zarikov, which Amelie had defended herself against. Confused and concerned, Zarikov pressured Amelie for answers. It's at this time, Zarikov came to the door and attempted to defend Amelie. Zarikov won in a disturbing combination of life, choice, time, and sorrows. Kira attempted to look over her piercings, similar to Aya's pistol, and received another strange other-body experience, this time as a dwarf named Engine Maiden Vatsu of the Monarch's Fall. Though after this vision, Kira had found she had minor intuition when it came to engineering. Wishing to leave before any further disturbances and aiding Polk in requesting some ships for Devil's Watch ahead of a gathering Northman assault, the party travels along the rail lines once again to the west coast city Bereg to meet Vibrani Ostrov, who owes Polk a favor. Though on the longest stretch of rail line in Riz, the Hedery Bereg line, the party had some time to kill, and got to know some of the other car passengers. Akim, a tiefling lawyer wishing to make it big over a territorial dispute over a discovered oasis. Oksana, daughter of Vibrani Maslow of Hedery, traveling to Bragg to meet a foreign pen pal. Finally in the car is Fadi, an old mercenary veteran looking after Oksana under contract to Vibrani Maslow. Though this trip wouldn't be entirely easygoing. A group of gnomes had walked through with a stressed-looking employee of the line. It would be shortly found that the clockwork engines had been hijacked. The line decoupled into three sections, with the fore and aft engines leaving still on track to their stations. The tiefling car and two luggage compartments were left strangely on the track. The party found themselves in the latter. The party had briefly split with Zarikov, flying solo to the fore engine, while the remainder of the party had investigated why their cars were left, finding some particular items within the luggage car, a bag of holding and this chest with a strange bit of magic tied to it. Oleska immediately put this locked chest into a bag of holding. They would later find out that the chest was the bomb said for the car to explode. Oleska, holding magic items no matter what they are, or cursed, led to an accidental rescue of the rail line. 
Meanwhile, Zarikov went on a solo mission to retake the four cars. Finding a group of gnomes with green bandanas had taken the front crew hostage, but with a Hellstorm siege rifle holding the doorway to the engine, Zarikov attempted to cause the hostages to revolt, which had mixed effects. But in the end, the four engine was retaken. If the engine stopped a damage and the rail driver dead. The other half of the party made their way across the elevated tracks and walked getting to know the passengers and the events of Bereg a bit better. Well, Kiran Olyana, that is. Aleska attempted to make her way through the waste during an ash storm. Akin informed the group that the discovery of the oasis had become quite muddled in its disputes as it was found by sinkhole forming on the border of multiple Vibrani domains. To mull things further, there was a skirmish and the initial confusion between private interest groups and Vibrani Ostrov was injured as a separate occurrence. It was a mess to be sure. Oksana's pen pal, Sukra, is actually the daughter of a diplomat for the Hobgoblin clan, Vitang. From the Endless Battlefield, the diplomat is meeting with a representative of some court from the Courts of Night on Grimm. Using the Rizian Graying Isle as a neutral ground, Fadi is here as a bodyguard for Oksana, but you already knew that. Zarekov also met an old human fey warlock, Tim, but he kinda disappeared, so who knows. Getting the clockwork engine moving again and everyone together, the party ships off to Bereg once again. With this rare downtime, Zarekov asked Oleska to identify their hexblade. While it only produced more questions, it was found the blade was tied to two sources of power, one from within the blade to be suspected, but then a random second one some distance away. Identifying the blade multiple times produced different results. Though the half a rail line pulls into the station, with quite the build-up crowd outside to ask what happened, the party wanting to stay low attempted to dodge most of this questioning. Now in Breg, they made their way to Vibrani Ostrovs to deliver Polk's request. Once they arrive at Ostrovs, she seems to be doing much worse than just injured. Beaten and bedridden, they hand Vibrani Ostrovs the request, and the, the party does offer to help with investigations over the dispute. Not for free, obviously. Kira wished for some vessels through Vibrani Ostrov's ties as part of the investigations, and waiting to talk to some high-ranking individuals at the diplomatic party. The Riz group had a week to kill, which means that they're likely to get themselves killed. Kira had delved into another other body experience with a water genasi, sacrifice named Lee, who was drowned to death at 14 in response to an invading foreign fleet. Though in this experimenting, Kira following a conscious had gathered the attention of Zarekov, now with an outside observer found out that Kira when unconscious was possessed by one of these three. Well, Yana simply used the boarding from the local campus for free stay. Oleska pulled off a solo heist of dangerous magical artifacts from a pre-cataclysm civilization that fell into the local ocean, collected by the academy. You know, the usual. During this time, while they meet the other Vibrani in this dispute, Bukta, Gavan, None would leave an impression like Vibrani Moray. Moray's connections and influence stretched through the particular indentured he took in and lended to others in Riz. A sleaze to be sure, involved with the territorial disputes as Tyr and Guard were the first ones on the scene when the sinkhole had formed. Bukta had technically owned a street which the sinkhole had formed to take in some of its cobbles and claims this new space is an excuse to redefine territory. Gavon, however, is a little stranger. While the influential Vibrani with the ties to the academy, he has no territory even near the sinkhole, instead claiming that the underground caverns of Bragg were to be defined and classified separately from the surface territory, which could potentially open up a whole other discussion. In addition to all these developments, some basic communication and direct communication with the others with Kira was developed. Now able to chat with Aya, Vatsu, and Lee, they each have different explanations for how they all got caught in this horrific multi-life-spanning loop but one thing they agree on is that Kira repeatedly got the closest to break the loop that has failed thus far. Importantly, it was found out these loops aren't perfect. Changes can be made. 
To make all of this more complicated, Kira's father, Alec Gorshkov, is in the harbor and will be at the diplomatic meeting, which Aya, possessing Kira, got the party all in. Eventually, the diplomatic party came, specifically upon the notable Grang Isle, a fortified isle due to its location not being under the protection of the Pact, leaving it vulnerable to rifts and summoned creatures. Though while the party went to the, well, party, they met the diplomats from the Endless Battlefield and the Courts of Night, local Vibrani with ties to Moray as a previous ward of his, and some of the notable complex businesses within the region, and mixed up in the whole territorial disagreement as well. Water's Wife and Fort's Manor, the latter coincidentally based on the Grang Isle and not the mainland. While the party was nearing its conclusion, a strange sudden earthquake had hit the isle with the moon now flickering between the sky and nothing, as the isle is caught in a rift to the Shadowfell that hasn't been stabilized, on the border between planes. The entire isle is quickly thrown into chaos, the Tyran guards attempting to maintain the best order that they can. The party makes their way to the interior walls and sees a blue pulse flare out from the now broken hollow plateau in the center of the isle. Passing through the horrors of the Shadowfell, if even faded, life still drains from those in the realm anathema to life. Fighting way through the desperate streets up opposite of the survivors fleeing to the shores for some hope of escape except for the diplomats from the courts of night, the party makes their way to the elevated district into the Vibrani's manor. Finding him and his closest guards dead and killed by some large bipedal black frog monster, advancing behind investigating what has been occurring, it seems that Vibrani Basin had inherited an excavation site underneath the plateau. The excavation was being managed by the Gnomish Company of Fort's Manor for more than a century. The plateau was an ancient structure from the Principles, the Majocracy which has local ruins lost to the Cataclysm. The players descend deeper into one of the secret entrances to the excavation site. The ancient stairwell exits from a broken pillar which held up the entire structure, which was the plateau hiding a small ancient stone town, which the make of was a little too perfect. Few things could be seen from this vantage. Though of the scraps of the excavation site and moving mound of flesh in one end of the chamber, it was the massive moving set of brass rings, one within the other, spinning and hovering in the air. A sourceless blue light seemed to emanate into a clockwork box in the center of the structure. Within the center of this rune-etched brass rings, the rings had additional clockwork clung to the moving structure, currently producing the looped clanging sound. Seemingly, the gnomes had attempted to activate the device through a mechanical jumpstart. A jumpstart that might have backfired. The exterior ring isn't moving, and it is in three parts. A split adamantine ring supported by scaffolding acting as some kind of container for the device and power on the interior moving rings. The party moved into the center of the chamber under this massive device, under which was the strange bipedal encrusted frog-like creature. Upon their approach since the surface, however, this frog's additional colored friends came into the fray. Black, gray, blue, and red slad were here, protecting this device for some reason. The players never found out, nor what they were. Fish's fight ensues, and the players barely survive, a close call for Alaska especially. With the device being held in this violent rift producing loop, the players destroy the clockwork looping it. This doesn't stop the device, but instead has it speed up unimpeded, going to finish its ancient process, which devastation is why it was sealed under a false plateau to begin with. Panicking, the players had to figure out the device before it activated and potentially wipe the isle truly clean of life. With attacked magic, the party discovered each of these rings is bound to a separate school of magic, making it dismantling it highly unstable. With no clear choice, they break the ring of transmutation. Ducking into a rope trick pocket, thanks to a stolen scroll, the party ducks for cover. After the dust seemingly settled, the party peeked out into the chamber. Seeing the rings had flown at high velocity out of the adamantine frame, tearing great gashes through the plateau shell. Though standing above the mound of moving flesh was a three-story tall thing of shadow and entropy, a lengthy form of stretched black sinew, jagged claw and hoof, topped with the shape of a goat's skull with glowing blue eyes. 
After it was done with the mound, it moved to the nearest opening of the plateau. The buildings and rubble in its way simply turned to dust as if passing thousands of years and seconds. The party decided a fight with the thing was not their problem and sought a way off to help others get off the aisle. Which, with the device now off, was back in the material plane off the shores of Riz. Escaping with their lives and a few others, the party finds themselves being questioned over the events of the Isle and the Oasis, which happened to have a piece of the arcane structure. The party, not being fans of Marais and putting together what evidence they had, decided to pin the events and loss of the Grang Isle to the Courts of Night upon him. After this, Kira was recorded with the two ships, which would be the Hellhound and Fiend's Mercy. Though since they were in Beret, Kira wished to search West 4 for information on her mother in this experiment. West 4 being an abandoned fort that is along the western side of Riz's northern shore along the Styx. The issue is the party would have to venture into the flats followed by the Ashen Waste over a 19 day journey. Though since the ships were stuck in harbor by not being recognized by the fleet, they had little choice but to walk. On their journey a day out from West 4, they spotted a convoy of foreign mercenaries guarding a caravan of supplies and two cannons heading somewhere south deeper into the Waste. Now where exactly they were going and where they came from didn't bother the party too much, but the supplies and cannons could entice them, but the risk still outweighed the prize. That is until Leska identified an abjurationist wizard among the caravan. Then it became their main objective. In an ambush with a phantom steed, charmed goblin, and a bag of holding containing very volatile wizard remains, the party struck to run a cleanup. Most of the caravan lie dead or mutilated from the raw arcane, but the mere merc captains and other hired adventuring party remained. Another chaotic and close fight ensues, ending with the party splitting after the apparent disappearance of the Abjurationist, their main target. Split by quite the distance, Kira and Zarekov remained behind to gather the loot. During this time, however, they had experimented with Kira looking into the blade, in which she collapsed, brought back with a ridiculous amount of healing potions looted from the ambush. So at this time, a group of ten mercs and their captain arrived, wondering what had happened to their shipment. Hence, back and forth takes place as the captain sent warning to their camp down south to the hires of the Trident Pact, whose abjurationist wouldn't be arriving and whose killers were in their sight. The mages come riding in and the combat begins. Worn down, only half the party, and against two competent wizards, Kira and Zarekov were knocked unconscious and taken prisoner. With both having signet rings, they might have been good ransom. Through the use of scrying, Liana and Aleska have found the room where Kira and Zarekov were being held, and risked their only teleportation scroll on an unfamiliar location, with the burning of the scroll, they arrived. What followed was a harrowing 22 hours of brutal combat and sabotage to get their items, and in particular, the voice of the mountain back, which was in Kira's bag of holding. And I... I'm going off script for this one. I need to express, this was... multiple sessions over a period of one in-game day of combat after combat of dungeon crawl and an occupied enemy territory. It was rough. And there was a goblin sorcerer let loose in a tunnel. Well, I'll leave that one for later. They discovered that they were in a secret excavation site of a room gnomish city, ran under a Vibrani whose forces are supplemented by mercenaries. Underneath the city was a mithril-based giant forged equipment which has cursed some of the tunnels with a disease called Metal Soul, which ex everyone except Kira contracts. In the last moments before going to assault the Rizian section of the ruins, the party spots a gnomish airship landing behind the manor-like structure and sneak up to its landing. They decide at this point that they might be able to talk their way out of this moment with the Vibrani, since they've only been seen killing mercs and definitely didn't disappear six tier in garden and a captain. Surprisingly, this does go well. Apparently, after word had got that they had caught some members of the Gorshkova and Ilyanesh line, 
the local Vibrani wanted to actually speak with them, or to apologize, and let them in, and see how much he could trust them with this information. As this was quite the sensitive topic that had a lot of backers. Though, since they were rescued ahead of time, the 24-hour window when they would be cleaned up and brought to the interrogation, they instead had a harrowing guerrilla warfare against the entire excavation site. Though, they did get a lot of their loot back. Though there was some stuff still left, namely, Kira's specific items of Aya, Batsu, and Lee's. For some reason, those were taken by the Tyran Lord. Asking to check up on this, he was not in a good state. A master of lore of medicine had been brought in to take care and see what was going on. The items were having a strange effect on him. Apparently, it wasn't quite the Lee Aya and Batsu that Kira had spoke to. Though in the end, with a mix of dispel magic, conversations, and a worrying lump and parasite found in Oliana, the items were taken off and given back to Kira. Along with this discussion though, and talking with the Vibrani, not only did they manage to clean things up with the events that had happened and gain his trust, they had also gained temporary use of the airship to head to West 4 to hurry their journey. Though, it's on this journey, when they had downtime once again, that they decided they were going to identify themselves, or have Aleska identify everyone, to see if anything was affecting them in some way or another, with the parasite and item scare recently. The sword was the same. If a little different at this point, it seems to have adapted and changed. Now, a bit more direct in its sorrow. Outside of that one, some of the wounds that Oliana had had during her initial experiments along her face, covered by a golden mask, they seem to have sources of necromancy around their scarring. She doesn't seem to know why. And when Oleska identified Kira, Oleska had thought of what it meant to be Oleska at the moment. So as the three were traveling towards West 4, all of a sudden, Zarekov became quite suspicious and alarmed, saying they had a fourth member of the party. Kira and Oliana, not really knowing what was going on, Kira slightly suspicious the fact that she had her, uh, her <laughs> famed necklace, Kira's anxiety, off at the time. There might be some credence to this story. The rest of the crew on the small airship also didn't seem to recognize there being another member of the party. Zarekov turned to the blade for memory, and in this bargain, failed to hold his will, becoming a living weapon from the collapse, killing off most of the goblin crew and damaging some of the ship. The airship begins to go down in a harrowing fight with a possessed Zarekov. Zarekov eventually regains control. The airship is not completely repaired. It is repaired after, but there is a light crash that is stopped, helpfully along the way. Sailing back with now a dead gnomish crew, dead goblins moving the airship, and a few of the Tyran guard dead, the Tyran captain that came with them is not happy and reports to the Vibrani, and they are brought in to be interrogated once again. Being split up, and namely Kira being sent to another room, the current Vibrani is not happy. It seems to have trailed a specific item they might have, something called the Voice of the Mountain. Kira, however, alone in a room with one of the Vibrani's hags, 
and four guards looking out a window was desperate. And so she dived. She went to talk to the thing that nearly killed her. And instead of hearing a voice, she felt curious. So she asked the question given by the demon of brass and scroll work. A trade she still doesn't know the repercussions of. Though with this, she found herself somewhere yet to be that has been or is happening. This fight in the near Kraken's Gulf with a fleet behind her, a being in the eye of a storm, a storm wall quickly approaching, and multiple wrecked ships in rubble acting as the only terrain in open ocean, with a massive stone pillar in the distance seemingly hovering above the air, a monolith in mockery to the natural order. The party themselves, also finding themselves awake, had fought in this mix of present, past, and future. Against what the party would jokingly refer to or reference as God, but not really. They still don't quite know what it was. What they do know, though, and now we get into some of the nitty-gritty mechanics of the game, was they beat it. And if they beat it, they got to decide whether this was the future or the present, or the past. If it was the past, Kira wouldn't be back in that room, everyone would be back in that same position, but Kira would have never had any of these memories of Lee, Vatsu, or even Aya. The voyage would have turned out differently, but so would everything else. If they had chosen the future, everything would have continued on as normal. But safe in the guarantee that this is the last cycle. Though, what they did choose was the present, which was their consciousness in this time of past, future, and present had settled on present with the death of the creature. And they were quickly given a flood of memories that they had suddenly been brought back, or this old consciousness or this fogged up memory when fighting this abomination. And that's where we've been for a while, and where we are now. Hence why you might hear us say flashback in some of the episodes. It is a long one. A year and two weeks long one, to be specific. But, cutting back, and now in a more rapid pace through these flashbacks, they do eventually get out of Brownie's grip. Namely, Kira had some friend in the fleet, and a few other places that had helped pluck some strings. Kira getting another ship, the Vile Cutter, waiting in harbor, and her fleet being recognized, though they still head over to West 4 first. In West 4, they end up bumping into another figure, Elias, a tiefling, luckily, but a Hallenberg tiefling. And quite the odd figure, a general soldier who somehow survived an accidental binding, which by all rights is impossible, has some interesting quirks, which most wizards do. Though, they end up finding some of the experimentations and some of the faults of the ship's design that Kira's mother was to test. A replacement for the great fairies of the Rizian fleet and some kind of gate system. One at Devil's Watch and one over at a small colony in the Southern Shattered, which a few people were involved in. Though eventually heading back and heading to the ships, they had decided to go on this voyage to eventually go and kill this thing, as it has happened. And, for further reference, 
when, but when they did decide to jump to the future, even before they settled, I had talked about some events that might come up, almost a choose-your-own-adventure with vague information that would be fleshed out later, and this is being fleshed out. So some of these paths are already determined to an extent. Goldthrone, down south, where those dwarven diplomats had come from, had the second part, the Mithril King's Hand. Second part of the voice of the mountain, the thing that is needed to open and close it, when it supposedly brought the voice of the mountain into that containment in the first place. Kept as a prized treasure and having high, high, high security, the party is wondering how they took it. Though after weeks and prep and planning and causing chaos and, and Oleana unleashing some goblin tribe's horrible abomination of mutant troll god called Ort uh, that had been locked away for decades underneath the city, ah, that's fine. Wait, that's that's not the Riz party's issue. You know, they just caused it. Anywho, Ort, 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 Ort. So, <laughs> heading off from there, not friends of the Gold Thrones anymore. They did manage to take the hand and another famed legendary item. Selling it off at an auction house through some connections of theirs, they made 850,000 gold pieces, which they used to flesh out the fleet and some of their crew and ancillaries, which is where the money for most of the NPCs you'll need are. Though, Liana making that agreement wants her husband back, and has already done those dangerous experiments earlier mentioned that had upset multiple headmasters and gotten her physically scarred. She makes a deal, and is given instructions. One specific child, a half-sister, to use as the fuel in kindling for the forge. Kept alive and burning for two weeks in the process of making this infernal frame. And at that price, Oliana has her husband occupy the frame, losing an arm in the process, while holding the child down. have some interviews along this time. A lot of interviews, a lot of them, like two sessions worth, uh, and one of those sessions is actually our first episode, though it's out of order. There's one more big event in between interviews and idiots and Broken Mirror. Namely, going to hunt down the voice as in the process of this deal and this forging, the voice had been released from its containment and had gone to the center of the Cross Mountains taking the fleet to Devil's Watch and an airship over alongside some hired Valor Bards. They have to land the airship earlier as they spot 23 dragons flying around an active volcano in the center of the Cross Mountains, which is splitting in four directions. And not only are those 23 dragons at the center, three of them are ancient, the rest are adult, and they're all chromatic. The party has never seen a dragon before, not one. <laughs> They know this is trouble, and there were even metallics within some of the peaks. Whatever the voice of the mountain was, and whatever its release, and whatever is happening here, is enough to gather their attention in mass. The players sneak through, using invisibility, flight, and ducking in between the valleys, though eventually some of the noises and their actions are spotted. They send Oliana's husband, Cyrus, as a distraction. Eventually mangled, but salvaged at the end of this journey, he is left in a valley. The party making their way up the remaining mountainside, 
being chased down by two chromatics. Oyana has a leg bitten off and a few others are injured along the path. They eventually make it into the volcano's caldera, in which they see an elemental of enormous proportions. Using bits of this dwarven ruined city as physical parts to hold onto, anchors to keep it here within this realm, and an ancient forge and arcane item at the base holding it in place, so it can't leave until it has destroyed it. The party in a harrowing, long drawn out fight, with Oyana dying, eventually trap the voice once again in the box. And for their actions, and thankfully they had a scroll and diamond, a brass dragon comes down and revives Oliana. And they make their way back to Devil's Watch and eventually to investigate the instructions Elias had been given on where his origin supposedly lies. And now you're caught up. That was the campaign so far. And we've still got quite a bit to tell. See you in the episodes. Let's go roll trauma. <laughs>